why to move to the country. Um, and the subheading says, tell me something I don't know. Show of hands, how many of you have heard all, you feel like you've heard all of the uh, Spirit of Prophecy quotes on why to move to the country? Show of hands, yeah. Okay, so some of you have, some of you haven't. And the reason why we said this is because, you know, after a while, you sometimes can get dis, dis what's the term? Desensitized, um, um, I guess. When you hear something over and over again, you're like, yeah, yeah, okay, I know that. I know we're supposed to. Sorry. Um, but we're going to share a few that really impressed us. And for those of you who didn't, haven't heard any, hopefully these will touch your heart and plant a seed. And for those who have heard them all, it'll just keep you encouraged. So the first pro to city living, convenience. It is really easy to uh, be able to get to work, to get to, to the store, to the supermarkets. Um, it might be, a, to get to entertainment, it's really close, and depending on the type of entertainment, that might be a pro, it might be a con. But um, there's a lot of convenience in, um, in city living. Another pro, more opportunities to socialize. Again, these are things that our whole family gave input to. So um, for this, it was the, our kids. They said there are just, there's more kids to talk to. You know, you have, they're just right there, whether you live in um, is it suburb, the neighborhoods, or an apartment complex, or you know, obviously you're going to school. Um, there's plenty of people to talk to. It's just easy to get to, to folk. Um, close, you're closer to church, you're closer to family. Um, we had somebody uh, mention wanting to be close to family. Well, it just helps when you're remaining in the city, your family is all there, your friends are all there. Business opportunities. Um, same reasons, people are closer. Same reasons, people are closer. You have a lot of people to be able to, to network with, thank you. Network with and, and to get those business opportunities going. Next pro for city living? Evangelism. It's must e must much easier to, um, to get to people because they're in large crowds and closer together. There was an experience that we had at an apartment that we lived at. Um, I wanted to, um, we wanted to share about, we wanted to share about the Sabbath as well as some other gospel truths. And I went, we ran around to all of the apartments, you know, in our complex and passed out paperwork. Now, uh, no one showed up, <laughs> but on the paperwork, the invitation, it talked about the Sabbath. And so we were able to get it into all the homes there in the complex. We have no idea how that affected anyone. And maybe we'll be able to, to know, you know, when we get to the kingdom, who was, um, who was affected by that information. But that was very easy uh, compared to being out in the country. You got to kind of travel far to find people to, to minister to. So some cons about the city. Um, before we get to that, I'm just gonna read this part um, from Spirit Prophecy. So the cities are filled with temptation. We should plan our work in such a way as to keep our young people as far away as possible from this contamination. Said the messenger of God, shall not the cities be warned? Yes, not by God's people living in them, but by their, 
by their visiting them to warn them of what is upon, sorry to warn them of what is coming upon the earth evangelism page 77 so it may be kind of strange in this class about you know country living we're talking about why we want to move to the country come on in um, why we're talking about the pros for city living and this is just so that we can start really thinking about you know what am I leaving behind um, we're going to talk a little bit later about counting the costs and so we're just seeing weighing this to see if it made sense to move to the country versus living in the city. Um, and so some of the cons for city living, number one, it's loud, noisy, and scary for the children. Um, <laughs> and so, um, you know, you hear the sirens, ambulances, people arguing outside, all kinds of just a lot of clamor and noise. It's very hard to find peace and quiet. Um, and I remember one time, uh, this is after we moved out to the country, a friend of ours came to visit, and they told us that when they were going back home from having visited us, as they were driving back into the city, they could just feel this like physical pressure of the, just the pressure of city living. Um, and so it's not a very restful atmosphere. It's hard to find rest um, in the city. And then, of course, you have your negative influences. And um, there's a quote that maybe we might be familiar with. As far as possible, our institutions should be located away from the cities. It is not God's will that his people shall settle in the cities where there is constant turmoil and confusion. Their children should be spared this, for the whole system is demoralized by the hurry and rush and noise. Country Living, page 29. Yeah, I remember one time we were at our apartment and my mom knows the story better, better than I, but we were at the pool um, in the little, part, the little apartment complex, and there was kids there, and of course they're, you know, um, using profane language and just, you know, poor uh, behavior, and my little brother and sister were there, and they're witnessing this, and so when you're living in the city where it is demoralized, like we saw, um, it's going to affect you, it's going to affect your kids in a negative way, and um, do we want that? No, not at all. So the next thing, of course, can you hold this? <laughs> so of course you have the traffic, you have the pollution, um, and then you have the hustle and bustle, it's all crowded like we talked about earlier. Um, and there's just this concentrated evil. I think Keith was the one that came up with this one. I mean when you think about it, if you have a bunch of sinful people living in the city, obviously the sin is going to be, you know, the evil is going to be more magnified. Thank you. Um, and there's another quote that, yeah. <coughs> the instruction is still being given. Move out of the cities. Many now will plead to remain in the cities, but the time will come ere long when all who wish to avoid the sights and sounds of evil will move into the country, for wickedness and corruption will increase to such a degree that the very atmosphere of cities will seem to be polluted. Letter 26 and 1907. Um, and just for those who've lived in the city or are living, have you guys witnessed this? Come on in. <laughs> have you guys witnessed this um, just demoralization like you saw of the city any anybody by show of hands yeah so we see it it's obvious you know it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see that the city is wicked and last but not least well actually there's like three more um <laughs> but there are numerous distractions and i'm going to talk a little bit more about this in my personal testimony as we go on about just all the distractions that are in the city um Lisa, you want to read this it is Satan's purpose to attract men and women to the cities, and to gain his oh, and to gain his object, he invents 
invents every kind of novelty and amusement, every kind of excitement. Country Living, page 14. Um, you guys see that picture of the Ferris wheel and everything? I didn't think about this before until my brother found this quote, that whenever we're driving through the city and we see, you know, like the little carnival things that they set at the circuses with the Ferris wheels and all the rides and the lights or whatever, I didn't realize how drawn I was to that. Um, and it's so true. Satan can, will, can and will find every distraction possible to draw us closer to the city so that we won't want to move out to the country where God wants us to be. Um, just a couple more before we move on to a more positive thing. Um, of course, there's not a lot of nature to enjoy, you know, concrete jungles everywhere, uh, maybe a little bit of grass here and there. And then it's more prone to flooding and other catastrophic issues. Um, I remember when, like, shortly after we moved out of the, con out of the city into the country, um, there was terrible flooding that happened in our city. And then after that, Hurricane Harvey came through and just destroyed it almost. Um, and praise God, we got out of that. But that's kind of what happens in the city when these kind of natural disasters happen, it hits the cities harder than it would the country. And so with that, we're gonna move on to the guys to talk about country living. Thank you, ladies. Um, so, well, before I move on to the, the pros of country living, did you guys have a, a pro of city living that you thought about? Anyone? Anyone? No? All right, good. <laughs> All right, so our first pro of country living is that it's peaceful and, and, a, and a calming environment. And that's the, the first thing that we noticed when we made that transition. Um, our first home out in the country, the thing that sold us, while it wasn't the, the prettiest place, uh, as far as the house was concerned, the surroundings was just, it was gorgeous. You know, we couldn't, we couldn't compare it to anything else. And so, for me, wait a minute. <laughs> for me, it was, like, it was like going on a vacation every time I came home from work. And um, there was nothing that can compare to it. As men should lift up their eyes to the hills of God and behold the wonderful works of his hands, they could learn the precious lessons of divine truth. Christ's te teachings would be repeated to them in the things of nature. The things of nature take up the parables of our Lord and repeat his counsels. By communion with God in nature, the mind is uplifted and the heart finds rest. Desire of Ages, page 291. So, once again, in the country, in that peaceful and calming environment, simplicities of nature is just manifested. You know, you're able to actually experience God in a whole new way. Um, when you don't have the distractions and the noise of the city, you can see the, the, the vegetation. You can experience the gardening, the, the, the farming life, just having time to actually contemplate um, everything that God has blessed you with. And you can actually focus on him without being distracted by your neighbor, 
without being distracted about some, by somebody coming over to want to borrow something. Not that it's a bad thing to have to actually you know, want to share something with somebody, but if you're in the midst of if you're in the midst of having family devotion or, or whatever the, the, the case is, you need to have that time where you can actually focus and concentrate on God. We have some friends that come out to visit and um, they just live maybe 45 minutes away in town. And when they come, um, we, we thought it was interesting. They say whenever they leave from uh, our home to go back into town, they physically, physiologically feel the pressure on themselves as they're driving back into town. And we thought, wow, that's, well, yeah, I can understand that. Cause when we have to go back in town, we feel it too. But I never thought about that. And I don't, I don't think we could probably, I don't think we could say that too many times. I actually commute. I don't live in the, well, I live in the country. That's where my home is, but I work in the city. So I go back and forth every day on a 75 mile commute one way um, to go to work and coming home is like that's why I say it's like going on vacation like every time I come home is because I leave the city daily and I feel the pressure come off of me once I get outside of city limits and I feel the pressure come on me once I hit city limits going into work and it just steadily increases as the traffic increases and so I try to leave for home, or I try and leave for work very early in the morning, like around 5 a.m., so I can make it there by 7. And vice versa, coming home, I try and leave by 3.30, so I can make it home by 5 or 5.30. And I can't, I mean, I can't really even describe the, the wear and tear that puts on me, not just because of the drive. I don't mind the drive so much, but it's just dealing with the, the traffic and the, and the, the compression of, of, of everything that's going on around me. I, I listen to audio verse, I listen to sermons, I listen to anything I possibly can to keep my mind focused um, on that drive. And it's, it's how I got through the Bible, really, is just, just listening to it. But um, there is no comparison um, with that life. Yes? Andrew Jackson. Sure. Okay, I'm going to redeem myself. I know no one said this. Um, <laughs> I think uh, uh, the reason why we are here to share our story, for those of you who are wanting to get out to the country, our situation is kind of like a, a, a middle ground. It's not perfect. I'm sure some of you are probably out like in the wilderness in a sweet, quiet, like, you know, you have, um, you don't have, you're not in that middle ground. You're, you're probably, um, you've, you've got the jobs to work at home and you don't have to commute back in. So we are kind of, we feel like we're kind of in that middle ground to give encouragement. For those of you who do finally get out, you might have to do the, the commute for a moment and it's okay. And, and the Lord will just keep moving you a little bit at a time as you go on your journey. Um, one other pro is ample space for exploration and gardening. Um, there's again, nothing like having an acre or two where you can just go out and plant whatever you want to plant uh, in some, inside some fertile soil and, um, and see that vegetation grow up right before your eyes. We didn't grow up that way. I was, I was uh, born in the country I, and I had a godmother who had a farm and I was able to go out there when I was little. And, uh, but I grew up in the city. We left when I was, when I was young. You'll hear about this more later. But um, 
I wanted to be able to give that to my children. And that was another reason why we moved to the country. It would be well for you to lay by your perplexing cares and find a retreat in the country where there is not so strong an influence to corrupt the morals of the young. To live in the country would be very beneficial to them. An active outdoor life would develop health of both mind and body. They should have a garden to cultivate where they might find both amusement and useful employment. Adventist Home, page 142.1 and 141.5. We've already touched on the simplicities of nature's manifested. Um, And we're going to skip on over to another quote in Adventist Home. Find rest of spirit in the beauty and quietude and peace of nature. Let the eye rest on the green fields, the groves, and the hills. Look up to the blue sky, unobscured by the city's dust and smoke, and breathe the invigorating air of heaven. Adventist Home, page 131. The mountain shall bring peace the mountain shall bring peace to the people and the little hills by righteousness. Psalm seventy two three. And this is a, a fun pro for me, freedom to get back to the basis of life. After we moved to the country, one of the things that me and my boys really enjoyed doing was building fires and doing uh, woodwork. Um, we found ourselves building bunk beds out of, out of pallets. And um, that was a really, yeah, it was probably the sturdiest set of bunk beds we've ever had. <laughs> I think we, we actually left them there at the house because it was so heavy. But we spent, we spent about a week putting that together and it was fun just gathering the wood and, and building it and working together. We worked on a lot of fun projects, um, learning how to use new tools and, and things like that. And again, that was, that was a priceless experience that we shared together. Who will be warned? We say again, out of the cities. Do not consider it a great deprivation that you must go into the hills and mountains, but seek for that retirement where you can be alone with God to learn his will and way. I urge our people to make it their life work to seek for spirituality. Christ is at the door. This is why I say to our people, do not consider it a privation when you are called to leave the cities and move out into the country places. Here there await rich blessings for those who will grasp them. By beholding the scenes of nature, the works of the Creator, by studying God's handiwork imperceptibly, you will be changed into the same image. Country Living, page 14. 
Thanks, Josh. And our last pro is access to fruit trees and wells we didn't plant or dig. So one of the most amazing things that happened in our, in our current home is that we prayed, and we'll, you'll hear more about this later, but we prayed for, um, well, we actually claimed a promise in Deuteronomy 6 that talked about uh, where, where God was talking to the Israelites about Canaan and how they would live in houses that they, that, that they didn't build and they would drink from wells that they didn't dig and they would eat from fruit trees that they didn't plant and vineyards that they didn't plant. And so we prayed for this very thing and God gave it to us. And that was just um, confirmation that we were doing what we were supposed to be doing. And we didn't have to worry about um, what we were gonna plant or even though we went out there and we planted a garden, but when we got there, there was already a blooming pear tree. There was already uh, nut trees, like pecan trees, all over the place. There was already a fig tree. Um, and we've never eaten figs off of a tree before. I found out why, God, why Jesus cursed the fig tree when it didn't, when it didn't uh, bear fruit. We went up to the fig tree, and when we saw the fruit it was, and it was ripe, we plucked it off, and we ate it, and it was sweet, and it was good. And I had never, ever had a fig off of the fig tree before. My only, my only experience with figs was a fig newton. And, and that was enough for me to say, I don't like figs. I don't like figs. So when we had that experience, it was like, wow, this is, this is amazing. What kind of trees do fig newtons grow on? I, I, I don't know. The ones that have, I don't know, flower? If, if, if you can think of, I know it's weird, but if you can think of jelly or jam preserves, like strawberry preserves, just imagine that being tucked inside of a, a fruit. That was, that's my experience. It just is heavenly. Just to touch on this a little bit more, we, when we were still living in the city, um, my first time eating a fresh fig was from, uh, what was her name? Christina. Christina uh, and she ran a... Right, she ran a co-op called Fully Raw Organic, and she would bring fresh organic fruit out to this area called City Center, and um, and she would just just sell organic fruits and vegetables. Where we were there and just visiting with her, because my wife and kids they would go volunteer with her from time to time, and so we just happened to see her there, and she she had a booth up, and um, and she said, "Have you ever tried figs?" And I'm like, "No, I don't, I don't, I don't want a fig." And she said, you got to try this. And I said, okay. I reluctantly tried the fig. I ripped open the fig. I said, do you eat it? Do you peel it? She said, no, you just eat it. So I, I investigated it first, right? I, I opened up the fig, and I looked inside. It looked like jelly inside, right? This is a nice, ripe fig. It looked like jelly. Like jelly you can just spread on bread. And I ate it, and my mouth just exploded with flavor. And I was like, this is the best experience with the fresh fruit I've ever had. So when we finally got out to the place we're in now and we saw a fig tree, we, we kind of just ran to the fig tree. Just, and we could see the sap coming out of the, out of the figs on the ones that were really ripe and pop those things. We didn't go back to the house and wash them or nothing like that. We just, just plucked them and ate them. And we're still here. You know what I'm saying? If the birds can eat it, we can too, right? And we were trying to get to them before the birds did. And we just enjoyed the figs. And we just got bags and bags of figs. And we were wondering, because we have a couple of neighbors. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm expounding. I, <laughs> and we were wondering, how come nobody's eating these figs? Nobody. They say, we don't, nobody eats them. Y'all can 
Nobody eats these, these pecans. They were just there. And we just pick them up and we just take them home and we crack them and use them. And it's... <laughs> no, we don't. We should have brought some. They're out of season. Anybody ever have a Okay. All right, so now we're going to move on. Is that the right way? Yeah. Oh, I guess it's your turn. I'll just read it. All right. And houses full of all good things, which thou fillest not, and wells digged, which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees, which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full. Is that the whole verse? Yep. Okay. That's Deuteronomy 6.11. So that's the promise that we claimed um, for our country home and, and God fulfilled it for us. So um, so we live in an imperfect world. Um, you can't go anywhere where it'll be completely uh, serene and, and perfect. So there are some cons to country living, but they're not nearly as bad as the cons for country living. So um, there are some unpleasant animal encounters. There's some unpleasant animal encounters. In, um, at least in Texas and in the South, you have these things called gangster cows. And gangster cows are cows who get out of their fenced area, and they roam around and terrorize people's yards. <laughs> and, and hang out in the roads, and you have to watch out for those. Um, but as long as you're paying attention, you're, you're all right. Um, even when I was on a farm in Tennessee, and these gangster cows would come over and, and eat our asparagus, and we'd try to shoo them off. But it's, it's not that bad. And you know, there's, there's snakes, spiders, and stuff, but um, <laughs> it's not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, we, we had fears of snakes, um, and you know, you hear about black widows in, in dark, dusty places. Keep your house clean, keep your lawn mowed, maybe get some cats, and we're fine. You, you'll be fine. There's rarely any, um, for us at least, we've never been hurt by snakes or anything. Um, then there's the long commute. Um, when you're in the country, whether it's to the store, um, schools, work, um, that, that can be a problem. Eventually, you want to be able to be able to work from home. It's a lot more uh, economic. Um, when it comes to grocery stores and stuff, uh, if you can be able to grow most of your food, you don't have to worry about that so much. So eventually, you want to be able to—you'll uh, be able to diminish that long commute, but that is uh, a con. Then there's un unfamiliar sounds like that, that can be scary, but you'll get used to it. Uh, coyotes or coyotes, um, hunters—you know—you get used to it. It's not that bad. And. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. When you think about it, can you, uh, can you think about the gunshot in the city compared to the gunshot in the country? You kind of know what's getting shot. You know what I mean? It just it does something to the mind, to the difference of what, what's being shot at. 
So yeah, in the country, it's, it's what's being shot. In the city, it's who's being shot. So it's a different kind of you know pressure. When, once you move out there, you're like, oh man, there's too much shooting out here. But you realize that somebody's probably shooting a hog or shooting a armadillo or something like that, more than likely, or just doing some hunting as opposed to shooting their neighbor. We were vis we we'll talk about this later, but um, we were out somewhere on someone's property, 400 acres, and we heard some gunshot, uh, gunfire. Is that how you say it? And but it was really close. It was closer than than normal, and we kind of got nervous because we you know that it just it feels dangerous now. And all of a sudden, this uh, whatever four wheeler comes driving up, and they're like, the, you know, the people of this property, do they know you're out here? And we were like, yeah, do they know you're out here? <laughs> and they were like, because they didn't tell them. They had permission. They had permission to be out there to hunt, but they just kind of came when they wanted to because the owners would have let us know, hey, we've got people out there hunting right now. So it was it was interesting, but it's. They were, oh yes, they were hunting bullfrogs. That was also very interesting. I don't know. Um, so I think one of the most, lost my balance there, one of the most dangerous cons is getting too comfortable. Uh, often you can get relaxed in the, in the country. Everything's peaceful. Um, but you can forget about the controversy in the city and how we still live in an evil world. And so you have to keep that in mind and that there's people in the city that still need ministry. So, and then I think that's the last one is socializing obstacles. Um, oftentimes in the country, people are really far apart. And for the little ones, you know, finding friends can be hard, which may be a good thing uh, <laughs> because not all um, kids can be good influences. Um, it, but then with talking with your neighbors and, and ministering to them or, or um, um, what's the word? So the question was, um, how do we, with kids in the country growing up, they need friends. How do you deal with that um, when everyone's so far apart? So when you think about the country, it's not that there's like no one around. There often are, you know, small communities here and there and churches and stuff. One thing that we did was we joined a, um, a community Bible study, which it was like all faiths. And so you have to be kind of careful with that, but it was one way we connected with the community and that was actually a blessing for us. Um, and so we made some friends, kind of, we're not really friends anymore, but for the, for the moment, <laughs> we were friends, and we were able to socialize and, um, and get along that way. And sometimes you'll have neighbors with kids, but I think from, when moving from the city to the country, one of the blessings is that there aren't those other influences of, of kids that you can't really, um, well, you, you should be able to monitor, but it's good to get away and realize what you believe and teach your kids before they start interacting with others again. Um, but sometimes you'll have to search to find, um, to find kids out there. Yeah. Um, that's a really good question. And I just wanted to interject that when we joined, well, first and foremost, I always encourage the, the, my children that 
sometimes you don't have the friends that you're you're wanting for a reason um, and the training is extremely important um, keeping that those little ones by your hip you know all the way up to the age of seven and even to the age of 12 they need to just be right there making sure their character is strong enough to so that when they go out um, they can be a light there, it's always there's once I heard a mother um, said yeah our kids are supposed to be in the schools and be out there so that they can be the be the salt but I don't think my child's salty enough so uh, sometimes it might be a harm to just put them out you know get them out there um, I'll be very honest uh, it was a it was a positive experience for the social part but there were some aspects that I um, I wished um, there were some regrets because there there were still there were still influences that were not the best, and I I con needed to, needed to continue helping them with being more salty. That makes sense. So um, you know we don't have to get them out there so quickly. I'm their best friend, right, guys? <laughs> and we want them to grow up to be mature adults. What better set of people for them to be around the majority of time than ma us mature adults? Hopefully, we're mature. <laughs> yeah, uh, Ron, you have a question? The key question is, outside of the immediate family, which is where you were going, how much socialization does God really expect our children to have? I guess I should have. Outside of our immediate family. Uh, um, how many hours so a week or a month does God really expect our children to have for socialization. How many hours a week does God expect for our children to have when it comes to socialization outside? Well, our, in yeah. modern society, uh, we think our children need eight hours of socialization every single day. Right, right. And uh, someone said in modern society, everyone needs uh, eight hours of socialization every day. And, and you're absolutely right. It, it's, um, we have stories, because they, they were in, in public school for a while before we um, got out to, to into the the first country home and they're still telling me stories horror stories you know the teacher made us watch this this child made me read this or did that or whatever the stories are still coming out and so um, there's a lot of pressure and if you're getting pressure from family or whoever you've got to just kind of say Lord what do you what would you have me to do if you're married you need to get your hu husband and wife you need to agree what would the Lord have me to do um, because the pressures will come to get them out there and socialize them and get them to be around whomever just because they'll be more well-rounded or whatever the, the pressure is that's said. And when it's all said and done, um, you want to have your children standing with you when you're, when you're having to, to face the Lord. He's going to ask, where was, that, where was that flock that I gave you? Um, those other people that said, oh, just let them watch a little something on the TV or just let them play with little whoever and let them sleep over or wherever, those people are not going to be there to say, to stand, you know, or to say why your kids aren't with you. So just be firm on protecting them. It's okay to shelter them. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. So yes, we want to socialize, um, but what are we socializing about? Um, we want to be witnessing to those around us in the country or in the city. 
So counting the, so counting the costs uh, as far as pros and cons, you, you just we just need to take it all in. What's going to work best for you at the time, and really pray about it, asking the Lord, what you, what would you have me to do? You've seen all the evidence um, when it comes to uh, scripture and spirit of prophecy, and and uh, the servant of the Lord exhorting and encouraging us to move to the country. So there's no real argument, but we realize that there are situations where you have to deal with finances. You have to deal with family. You have to deal with jobs. And so the first thing we did was pray and ask the Lord to open up a door, um, make a way for it to happen, because in and of our own strength, it wasn't happening, okay? And we really had to lean on the Lord because we didn't have you know, tons of money to, or uh, uh, a rich uncle or anything like that so for somebody to just hand us $20,000 because it, it felt very daunting when we were even thinking about trying to move to the country. So we had to have a mindset change. And some of that is what we're going to talk about in the next hour. Okay? For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether ye have sufficient to finish it? Luke fourteen twenty-eight. An expensive dwelling, elaborate furnishings, display, luxury, and ease do not furnish the conditions essential to a happy useful life. Jesus came to this earth to accomplish the greatest work ever accomplished among men. He came as God's ambassador to show us how to live so as to secure life's best results. What were the conditions chosen by the infinite father for his son to be able to accomplish this? Anybody know what were those conditions? No, not yet. That wasn't a rhetorical question. <laughs> okay, so Jesus was in the country, or can we take it? Yeah. I just wanted to say Jesus was in the country in the hills of Galilee. Amen. What were some other conditions? He lived a simple life. Anyone else? He worked with his hands. He did what? He had to work with his hands. He was a carpenter. He was a carpenter. Was that easy work? No, he he worked hard, didn't he? Okay, so we said a simple life. Simple life. Worked with, lived in a country. Worked with his hands. Everything was simple. Okay. His mother taught him a secluded home in the Galilean hills a household sustained by honest, self-respecting labor, a life of simplicity, daily conflict with difficulty and hardship, self-sacrifice. Read these with me. The next one, economy and patience, gladsome service, the hour of study at his mother's side with the open scroll of scripture. the quiet of dawn or twilight in the green valley, 
the holy ministries of nature, the study of creation and providence, and the soul's communion with God. These were the conditions and opportunities of the early life of Jesus. It's Country Living, page 14. And we, we pray that these can be the conditions and opportunities for us as well. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.